Busy weekends are a breeze with American Express Platinum Card. 8 a.m., wait to board plane in the Centurion Lounge. <sighs> Much better. 2 p.m., grab seats for the game. Come on, pick and roll! 6 p.m., book an exclusive reservation with Resi Global Dining Access. Right this way. Because the American Express Platinum Card offers access to the Centurion Lounge, must-see live events, and exclusive reservations at renowned restaurants. That's the powerful backing of American Express. See how to elevate your experiences at americanexpress.com slash with Amex. Terms apply. Hey, this is John Ridley. And this is Matt Carey, documentary editor at Deadline. And welcome to Talk Talk. John, we've got a hard-hitting episode today. A lot of controversy. Well, maybe we should put the word controversy in quotes in the documentary field about the nominees for Best Documentary Feature. We're going to get into that with some amazing panelists. You get a shot. But the individuals behind every one of those images, they're complicated and they are human. This has been Doc Talk. Thank you. Great Thank conversation. You There's plenty to celebrate in March. And ex- Craft Month with the perfect pizza at home class from Craftsy. And anytime is right to listen to iHeartRadio's iHeartCountry Radio. Discover more shows and movies for free. Bring spring color inside this season with Bear Premium Plus paint starting at just $28.98 a gallon at the Home Depot. Add a pop of blue to your kitchen with the Bear exclusive color Arrowhead Lake or a splash of Amazon Jungle to your living room. Bring a cool breeze to your bathroom with sea glass or accent your bedroom with sunrise-inspired colors like coral cloud and dark crimson. Let your creativity bloom this spring with Bare Premium Plus paint starting at just $28.98 a gallon at The Home Depot. How doers get more done. Welcome back to another episode of Open Floor, filling in for your host, Michael the Podpina. I'm Rohan Notkerny, and I'm joined this week by my Sports Illustrated colleague, he's a senior writer, New York Times best-selling author. It's Tunnel Visions Better Under Stove Lights. Please welcome to the show, Chris Herring. Chris, how's it going, my man? I'm. I was good until whatever you just said about stove lights and stove. I'm pretty pops. sure it's it's another it's another Pusha T drug reference. Just so you know. Um, you're you're gonna have me out here like someone that's literally never listened to rap before. Like <laughs> maybe that just shows I haven't listened to enough Pusha T before. Like, but good lord, I just I just maybe listen to more Pusha T than most people is the problem. Um, <laughs> clearly, him and I relate on some deep level. Uh, <laughs> um, Chris. There's like a ton we have to get to today because the first round has been just completely bonkers and there's a ton of good storylines and so much I want to talk about. But something I've been wanting to ask you about for a long time, and it started to creep out onto the podcast a little bit, is just how how much toxicity Michael and I treat each other with in our group chat that you also happen to be in. And you you never take sides. You never jump into the fray. You just kind of let him and I go at it, just hurling like really like stupid things at each other. I'm just curious what what is what is your experience like seeing the two of us go full like sports talking head, like sports bar sports fan at each other in our group chat? Hey man, this is a really, really good example of self-preservation where <laughs> you let two I, not enemies, because you guys are not my enemies, you're my podcast co-host, but like I let you guys rough up each other so that I can be nice and rested when we actually have to podcast. <laughs> um, but no, I, I rarely jump into the fray. I, I, uh, as you said, I think it was last night that uh, Jeremy, who's also in our group chat, was like, man, Chris's efficiency rating when it comes to this uh, chat that we have, because I so rarely jump in. But when I do, it's <laughs> like it's a completely skewer or something or just to <laughs> laugh really hard at someone else's really horrendous tweet. Um we wish to not speak of the horrendous yeah. tweets we've seen, but, <laughs> but yeah, there's, a, I don't know. I just jump in. I, I feel like there's almost a more comedic aspect to it where I don't know that I'm the funniest person, but I think the timing, I just try to be there with the timing sometimes, you, or sometimes I think I, I've been open about the fact that I have the, the group thread muted just because have- I'll up and we'll have 130 messages like 
since the last hour. And I'm just like, I can't read all these. Um, so when I look at it, sometimes I'll catch up on something late, um, which probably makes it less funny because it's like not as you know timely at that point. But anyway, no, um, you're doing you're- a great job. I'm I'm glad that we haven't fully. For the record, I have the group chat on mute as well. I'm just on oh, my okay. phone so much that I'm in it, <laughs> but I don't like. I agree. Like I don't want it buzzing like every time Mike and I are going back and forth about the Celtics or the Heat or whatever it is. Um, just calling out each other's favorite players for being frauds. Um, <laughs> but, uh, you know, I'm constantly checking it. Um, anyway, last night we just had another deeply memorable night of NBA playoff action. Um, this weekend, we have two potential sweeps on the books. Uh, we got Celtics-Nets game three. Let me start here. I mean, we got Memphis-Minnesota. We got Warriors-Nuggets, Bucks bulls Celtics Nets. Is there a series you want to start with? Is there a place that you'd like to start with? Uh, don't we kind of, well, it depends. Uh, there, there's two ways you can look at it. Either one that we have to start with Memphis and Minnesota or secondly, that we have to just start and say our last rights for Utah, because what the <laughs> hell uh, this is, they're down two one without Luca just getting diced the hell up. Like, a, you know, a, a cooking video or something. It's like a, it's like, uh, you ever been to a chopped salad herring? They're getting chopped. Yes. They got you the- get chopped, chopped and screwed. That <laughs> yeah. there's a, that I don't think, I guess that's not a rap reference, but it's enough of an R and B rap <laughs> reference that we can use it. Chopped and screwed. They, they are getting chopped and they look screwed. Um, and this is without Luka Doncic having played, which, you know, the Mavs look like geniuses for having, waited to bring him back it sounds like he hasn't been ready anyway but um i it's just disappointing but either i think we need to start with one of those given that the warrior series is now 3-0 yeah um and i think we could start pivoting not necessarily all the way away from it but the other two series are, are really interesting so i think we should start with one of those why don't you take your pick well let's go with utah and Dallas, just because you brought it up, we'll swerve a little bit. We'll definitely get into Memphis, Minnesota talk. We have a lot of thoughts on both these series. Let me just throw something at you. Do you think there's, if you're somehow Quinn Snyder gives you a call, you know, he's on a, he's on another, you know, 48 hour serial killer is continues to kill vibe. Like he just looks absolutely stressed out. Um, I don't know if you've seen the movie Zodiac, but he's just got like Robert Downey Jr. and Zodiac energy this man's just been driven to uh just depths of despair because of what's happening here is there anything do you you have a solution for the jazz something they should try something you'd like to at least see them attempt like is there anything utah can do to salvage this because uh, i never in my life has a 2-1 series lead ever felt like a 4-0 series loss before and that's what it feels like with utah here is there anything you can prescribe to them? What what do they where do they go from here? Just even in this series? Well, not really. I mean, the reason it feels that way, and I, I I actually think that it will be interesting. I think we're probably giving too much credence to the idea that like Luca coming back automatically puts Dallas on a different level. And I think part of what we've seen from them is that they're defending like crazy in part because Luca's not there. Um, so that, you know, obviously Luca will do wonders for their offense, but also their offense has been kind of rolling with Jalen Brunson and with Dinwiddie going to the basket and Dinwiddie exploding on Gobert, uh, with that dunk he had yesterday, which is insane. So I, I think we're taking for granted a little bit too much that Dallas will just steamroll them once Luca's back, assuming that maybe he'll be back for game four, if not certainly for game five, you would think, um, but I think the, the bigger part of it is just that Utah Utah doesn't look like they give a damn. Uh, and I'm not trying to say that they don't, but I think Tom Ziller nailed it perfectly in his newsletter. Um, watch that play where Dinwiddie just yams, jams on, uh, on Gobert. He comes down the middle of the lane. There was nobody guarding him at the top of the key. There was confusion as to whose assignment it was. He jams on Gobert in a way that, like, we almost never see. Uh, every now and then he gets dunked on, but not like that. Very rarely. Um, and he gets fouled. And you look around, and this is what Ziller did in his newsletter. 
you look at Donovan Mitchell, he's got his hands on his side. Royce O'Neal, he's got his hands on his side. Uh, you look at Gobert, who normally, I don't know, you're, you're normally looking to blame somebody for how somebody just got loose like that. Like, Dinwiddie is not a big dunker, is the other mm-hmm. thing, too. So he gets that play. Gobert's not saying anything to anyone. Like, he just kind of looks resigned to the fact that it happened. Everybody on the jazz bench is just sitting there, Quinn Snyder included. It just, it, it's just kind of like, it looks like they're waiting for the season to be over, even though it's 2 1. And granted, they did put up a little bit of a fight to come back at one point yesterday after a big deficit, but it just kind of is what it is at this point. And it feels like the end to where you're going to see some big changes. And I'm not even sure what they should be. But to your question, the initial one that you asked is like, is there even anything to be done? I don't really know. I mean, the only thing you could really think about, I think, is is Daniel House to to put him in a little bit more often mm-hmm. to utilize him. Uh, Royce O'Neal did not take a single shot yesterday. And what are we looking at? 30, 30, was it 32 minutes that he played? Um, sorry, I'm trying to look it up. Royce O'Neal played 32 minutes. He did not take a single shot. Um, he took several shots at the Mavs. <laughs> as far as knocking down Jalen Brunson every opportunity he got, whether it was intentional or not, one certainly looked intentional to me. Um, so he was kind of running around just hitting people, but he was not even trying to shoot. And the Mavericks know that. And the Mavericks basically play defense like that. So, um, you know, Quinn Snyder tried to pull Gobert off the floor. Um, he utilized Pascal as a small ball center in place of Whiteside and then Gobert. And look, Utah's offense opened up because of it, but so did the Mavericks offense Mm -hmm. because they don't see anybody in the paint and they take twice as many shots. Um, 13% of their shots come at the rim when Gobert is there. 31% of their shots come at the rim when Gobert is not. And it's a team that even with Gobert on the floor struggles to really seal stuff off when they've got just him there because then it's like, okay, well, if we can't get our shot at the rim, we just kicked the ball the corner to Cleaver or Josh Green or Bertans or anybody else. It could be me standing in the corner and I would get an open shot too. Obviously, I would get an open shot because no one's defending <laughs> me, but it's it's a mess. And I'm not really sure how to solve it um at this point because part of it is like a want and like a yeah. we're just not going to let this happen. And I don't think the Jets have that right now. For a team that's built its identity on defense during I think this run that they've had. And obviously the offense has become very good as well, but I, you know, I think it starts with their defensive intensity. You know, I watched a shout out to Nikai Duncan, who does such a fantastic job and, and Caitlin Cooper, That's who great. also does a really good job. She's great. I think, yeah. I think just two of the best at, at telling you what's happening as it's happening. And, you know, Caitlin pointed out after game one, like the jazz are doing a great job. If let's say Donovan got blown by whoever's covering, you know, the other player, another player on the wing is crashing down to the corner. That way Gobert can, you know, stay in the paint. It's a tougher pass back out to the top of the key. Gobert can recover. Those rotations are gone. Nikaias had a five-minute video today that just says the Jazz's weak side rotations are a mess. You know, they're sticking with the wrong shooters, et cetera. This is like it's e- again, it's easy for us to say this from where we are, but this is basic stuff that an elite team, a, D, a team that prides itself on its defensive intensity, they can't afford to have that. And the Mavs, I mean, they have it. We've seen other teams, whether it's the Warriors or the Heat, that attention to detail they have on defense, Utah hasn't had it. And another thing offensively is Utah is just not generating threes. The Mavericks shot 14 more threes than them last night. Yep. Like Dallas's defense has been fantastic. You know, they're living with the switches on Gobert. Uh, the Jazz can't suck the defense into the paint, and they can't kick out to their open shooters, which has been their bread and butter. I mean, you mentioned Royce O'Neal. Uh, he's not getting any shots up. So it's just – it's really disappointing. It's kind of funny to watch the Gobert pendulum swing. It went from this guy can't be on the floor into the playoffs to now he's this, like, very sympathetic figure. Um, you know, our colleagues Chris Mannix tweeting, like, maybe this is why he's the defensive player of the year because they'd be so bad without him. Here's what I, I'll say about the Jazz, though. Like, Donovan Mitchell, well, I want to know what, what what's going on in the film sessions because he seems like a good guy and, frankly, like the kind of star who's willing to take accountability. But I lost track of the number of switches he got called into in the fourth quarter. Like, at no point did I have any confidence 
he could get a single stop, none. And it's not like, like Dinwiddie and Brunson, credit to them, have been having good series. Dinwiddie's efficiency, not been great, whatever. But this isn't, we're not asking Donovan Mitchell to guard Luka. We're not asking him to guard, right. you know, James Harden in his prime. And you're getting blown by, like, it, there's no pride on that end of the floor from him. And it just, Rudy Gobert caught a little flack because I think he he kind of subtly shaded Booker or Mitchell early in the year. He mentioned Devin Booker as someone who's kind of improved his defense, took that reputation to heart. You know, Devin Booker might still get targeted, but he's nowhere near the turnstile Mitchell has been in this series. And it's it's inexcusable, frankly. Yeah, I mean, there there was piggybacking again off that uh, that Ziller newsletter. He he said at one point that Mitchell looked like he was playing defense against someone that had a communicable disease. Um, <laughs> which in the time of COVID, maybe that is why yeah. his defense is so bad. Maybe he doesn't want to catch COVID from anybody or or get sick. But he was playing defense like that. There was one play in particular where. I think Dinwiddie was driving to his left. Oh, and, yeah. <laughs> and Donovan Mitchell just kind of stopped at a total point. Like basically yeah. once they got inside the paint or, you know, b- beneath the free throw line and he just stopped and Dinwiddie just went around him. I think he might have finished with his right yeah. hand on the left side of the basket. And it was just kind of like, what are you stopping for? What are you, you know, there's no resistance. And you're right. Um, Donovan Mitchell says a lot of the right things. Um, and, and, and who knows, like people have made a lot of the dynamic between he and Gobert. Um, people have pointed out and Quinn Snyder has since gotten pissed off at people that are referencing the stat about how infrequently Donovan Mitchell passes the ball to Rudy Gobert, which to some extent, yeah, it's a little bit surprising to see the numbers amplified like that, but also, you know, like Rudy Gobert is not someone you're throwing the ball into to, to post up a whole lot or anything like that. Um, but I do think that there's something to be said, like, it's it's been out there. It's been reported by legitimate people about the fact that there there's not a huge love there between the two dating back to and maybe even before the COVID thing um, back in 2020. So, I, you know, I don't want to try to play, um, you know, armchair psychologist about that sort of stuff. But there might be something to be said for the fact that when a really substantive criticism comes from somebody you'd be willing to hear it if it was mm-hmm. your coach or your friend, but there might be certain people that you're not willing to hear it from, even if it's the truth. Um, and I do think that there's something to be said for the fact that there have been like a lot of passive aggressive comments made. Maybe you perceive that to be one, but if you guys are on good footing with each other and someone, and your all-star level teammate, your all NBA level teammate says that about you or to you, there's something to be said that it's also fair to, to point out that to some extent, I guess it was pretty clear. He's talking about Donovan, but the rest of the team is not good on yeah. perimeter either. Remember so, when, remember when Mike Conley was one of the best defenders in the NBA and now man. it's, uh, it, it's, you know what it looks like? Like the other night when Jalen Brunson had the 40 piece, um, when you watch like those jet Lee movies, uh, and, Bruce Lee, it, it, it just it, it just kind of feels like there's like 30 people that someone just kicks their ass, all 30. Of them. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And, and that's the way it feels is like one defender after another tries their hand at it. And they just, you know, yeah. Or like, I mean, if you want to take it all the way back, this is going to be a weird reference. Like Cinderella, everybody's trying on the slipper and nobody fits it. And so you just keep going down the line yeah. <laughs> like that's that's the approach the Jazz need to take in free agency this summer. It's just put on a lot of bring a lot of slippers out yeah. and try on a lot of different people because it's just not nobody can defend on the perimeter, which is sad. And um, it, it's crazy that this team at one point, the thought was that they might not have enough offense to advance a couple of years ago. Now they've got the best offense in the league statistically shoot threes for days. And they're in a series where they the Mavs made twice as many threes as they did yesterday at a better percentage. And the Jazz can't stop a damn thing despite having maybe, I don't know, Draymond I think would have something to say about, but like maybe the best defender in the world. One of the three, four best, certainly, I think most people would acknowledge. Um, And they can't stop a damn thing even with him. So it's a mess of a situation right now. Um, I don't know what the fix is. Um, 
And it, I don't know that they're, I'm sure they would take a silver bullet, but it doesn't even look like they're really willing yeah. to work to find the fix. Here's what I'll say, and we can move on, but at least find a different way to lose. Don't go out like you've been going out against the Clippers where you're just getting cornered yeah. to death. Try to find a different way to lose, whether you're hedging and recovering, whether you are going back to drop, like just like, yeah, honestly, maybe drop on Brunson and Dinwiddie who aren't like, they're not Kevin Durant. I mean, just uh, they got to find a different way because you can't, you really cannot keep going out like this. Um, it's, I feel bad for jazz fans because it has to be deeply maddening uh, to watch. Welcome to the Scene to Scene podcast. I am your host, Valerie Complex. Today, I am chatting with Ji Young Yu. Ji Young stars as co-lead in the six-part limited series, Expats. I think I learn a little bit with every character that I play. I think usually I play a character and it causes enough introspection that I learn something about myself. I honestly can't gush enough about Freaky Tales. I'm so excited to share it with more people. If you like what you hear, be sure to review, like, and subscribe to the Scene to Scene podcast. Busy weekends are a breeze with American Express Platinum Card. 8 a.m., wait to board plane in the Centurion Lounge. <sighs> Much better. 2 p.m., grab seats for the game. Come on, pick and roll! 6 p.m., book an exclusive reservation with Resi Global Dining Access. Right this way. Because the American Express Platinum Card offers access to the Centurion Lounge, must-see live events, and exclusive reservations at renowned restaurants. That's the powerful backing of American Express. See how to elevate your experiences at americanexpress.com slash with Amex. Terms apply. That was only one of the crazy games last night. Yes. Memphis, Minnesota. <laughs> one of the funniest playoff losses. I'm very sorry, but one of the funniest playoff losses I can remember in a long time. And like I've been watching playoff basketball religiously for well over a decade now and just cannot remember a game like that. Um I mean, we can start with Towns, who had an, who's now out of the four kind of postseason games between the plane and the first three games of this round. He's had one good game and three kind of like, hey, man, like you got to wake up a little bit. Um, what did you what did you take away from that game last night? What, what kind of stuck with you the most? Well, yeah, it's hard not to start with when you look at a team that their offense just goes you know, lifeless for two quarters of a game, two quarters. I, I can't remember the last time I saw two quarters where a team scored less than 15 points, you know, in each quarter, um, two 12 point quarters in a game. Um, so, and, and still scored 95 points with those two horrible quarters. So they were scoring a lot. And the other two, um, the first thing you're going to look at when you get that level of production or lack of production is your star. And when your star takes four shots, um, I, I have questions. I've got questions, man. <laughs> and, um, you know, it, 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 it's it's not acceptable. And he was asked about it after the game and he said, next question. So when you talk about accountability, I hope he said more than that to his teammates. Um, granted, there's been foul trouble. Granted that I think he's been facing a sort of defense that he's not great against, which frankly, a lot of bigs that are still trying to figure it out have that issue. I think about someone like Porzingis, who lo and behold, he's not with the team that he was with, you know, for the last few years anymore, in part because of it, not really being able to back down smalls. Um, and it always kind of makes me think my analogies are really bad today, but like the, the elephants that are afraid of mice. Um, and maybe it's not uh, being afraid of it, but not being able to take advantage of a situation saying I'm bigger. Um, and by the way, there was that, that situation yesterday on inside the NBA where he was like, when you got, so when you're banging a guy, incredible TV show the other night, the other night during the Celtics Nets game, they were just like, yeah, number 11 on Boston. Shaq was like, I'd never seen that guy before. <laughs> it's like it's like him and number twelve had a great game. I love oh, that show. Gosh. It's perfect. It, look, I think people assume if you're pro analytics or that you you believe and understand analytics that you're going to hate inside the NBA. I don't hate it. It's yeah. it's too funny to hate, yeah. and I think it it speaks to. I think more people are probably 
outside of the weeds when it comes to analytics and it connects with people for a reason. It's funny yeah. television most of the time. Every yeah. now and then I think it, it wades into yeah. an area that's a little yeah. bit unfortunate. But anyway, that was funny. Um, but yeah, there's something to be said for that. The Towns has not been able to take advantage of that. By the way, can I just say that I think Carl Anthony Towns might be like the worst complainer that I've ever seen. Like he complains oh, about fouls that are the clearest fouls I've ever seen. He, he hooks people going, three and oh four times God. on one play and then he complains. Um, he is like, he is fouling. Like there've been too many fouls in this first round. And yes. some of these games have been very frustrating, but no, he is fouling with a capital G at the end. Like that man is fouling. Okay. Like uh, it was just uh and I, I feel for him a little bit because, you know, he's playing with guys on the wing who are a little headstrong between Beverly, Russell, and Edwards, obviously. Um, there's always an element to to big men where because they don't dribble the ball the floor, you know, nine times out of ten, unless you're Jokic or Giannis, you're a little bit dependent on your teammates to give you looks. I think, you know, he mentioned, like, our offense was working really well at times, even when I wasn't scoring because I'm, I'm drawing the double, I'm kicking it out, et cetera. But – like he's got a way to he's got to find a way to stem the tide, stop the run, etc. What Memphis did late in that third quarter, going into the fourth, was and you look at Ja. Ja didn't have a great game scoring wise. He didn't no, have a he shot didn't at all. But uh, you know he was able to impact the game in a way that Towns was not. And I just do you think Minnesota can come back from a loss like that in a series? I I think there's probably more there's a better likelihood than people are giving it. I mm-hmm. think in part because it's a young enough team to where I, I wrote about the series earlier in the week in my newsletter. And I think um, part of what's so striking to me is like these teams, the, the rationale that I use to kind of write about them is that these teams are so young that they kind of, they're breaking all the rules and don't mm. even really know it as far as the pace they play at, as far as like guys being under the age of 22 and dropping 30 in their first playoff game against each other, like stuff like that where they don't, they're, they're so young. They don't know any better. Mm. Um, now, obviously they've got a couple vets in their rotation. You're mentioning Beverly in particular. I don't know how people view Russell at this point, whether he's a vet or not. Um, Cause I guess I, I forget that he and towns were, I guess, part of the same draft class yeah. too. So I guess they're, you know, they're vets, you know, towns has been to the playoffs before, you know, you kind of use the quotation mark <laughs> where it's not something that they've done a whole lot before. But I do think that there's enough youth on this roster and quite frankly, Memphis is as well to to make the argument that it might not really sit within their soul as long as we're expecting mm. it to and be so detrimental. Now, it could. Um, I think the bigger question is just are they going to be prone to have droughts generally, um, even from quarter to quarter when certain guys sit Um I think the bigger question that I have about a team like the Wolves is, okay, if Towns is not going to be consistent for you as far as staying out of foul trouble, as far as shooting enough and really doing enough for your offense, are there other things you're going to be able to do to keep yourself in it? The Timberwolves were a team that, you know, I won't say they lived and died with the three, but they certainly thrived with it. And they they did not shoot a good percentage. They did not take a whole lot of them uh, considering how, Frequently, they relied upon them and everything. Um, so, I mean, that's that's a basic question I have. Like, they didn't make as many as Memphis did. But I could tell you what will not happen if they're going to win or come back in the series. They can't allow, like, Brandon Clark to kill them the way he did yesterday, not just, um, you know, from an offensive rebounding standpoint, but also scoring it. And when you talk about Ja and how he really didn't have a great game, it kind of was made irrelevant by the fact that Desmond Bain and Brandon Clark Bain stepped up sick. the way they Bain. did. Yeah. Um, and now we've seen a structural change in the lineup to where Steven Adams isn't even in the game at all. He's not going to play at all. So some of the things that you were leaning on for an advantage before are have been taken off the table. So it's going to take towns really cannot afford to have games where he's going to shoot four times or be in consistent foul trouble. He needs to mm-hmm. use to his advantage. The other thing too, by the way, is that Jaron Jackson was in foul trouble too. Yeah. And Towns, by being in the foul trouble he was in and also just not shooting and, you know, not really going after somebody like Jaron because of the the switches that Memphis was using and because they were using smaller guys on him. 
uh, you have to find a way to punish the fact that Jaron Jackson's in foul trouble because he's a big, a big player for them. Yeah, and I think that's what really bothers me about Towns is okay. Yeah, he took four shots. I think he still had was still making the right plays on occasion, but you as a star just have to be smarter. You have to play with more my my on the subways in New York. If we're talking analogies, my buddy would always would always be like, "Yo, man, you have no court awareness." Because I'm I'm the guy like I'm flailing around. I can barely hang on to the to the bars and stuff. I'm like, how do people do this? Like, I'm always losing balance. Like, I didn't don't realize someone's behind me. I'm wearing a backpack. My buddy's always like, you have no court awareness. Carl Towns, <laughs> zero court awareness. He's bumping into people. He's flying around, like flying off the handle. You cannot do that when you're that important to your team. And at some point he has to, we're, this, this the playoffs are all about accountability and he needs to take accountability for the fact that I don't think he's been a smart player in the majority of these games. The fouls are really hurting his team. And, you know, I, it, I understand last night he's trying to deflect. Like, I don't think he wants to add to kind of the gravity of this loss. He's like, I'm going to decompress, just have some mind, whatever. Like, that's fine. But, you know, we need to see something from you in this next game because he's had two really bad games in this series. Um, And And playing, like you said. Yeah. And, and there's an opportunity for them to win this. Like I understand, Hey, they're, you know, a seven seed going up against a two, but I mean, the fact that they were able to build a 25 point lead says something about, they have an ability to win the series. Also, he can't let himself get mic'd up ever again. You just can't do it. Yo, you, can, <laughs> you cannot give. You can't oh, give John Morant hey, we the have opportunity. Been a yeah, oh listen, God. we're not going to get into. It. There are just a lot of jokes online about Carl Towns every time. He yes, talks. there are. Um, oh. And he can't let that happen to him. He cannot <laughs> give John Morant the ammo. I mean. Oh the, my God. It's, it's funny that we used to live in an age like not even like maybe five years ago where it was like, oh, LeBron better log off Twitter for the playoffs or he's not serious. And now you have jaw talking trash like minutes after a game ends. It's fantastic. I'm glad it's happening. It's very funny. But man, that was let's amazing. let's let's talk about one more thing before we move please, off this, please. just because I don't want to like as we put it on the players and they deserve it. Uh, Chris Finch, who has had a great, great season. season. Um, I think, you know, probably I, I, I don't want to sound hypocritical because I did not have him on my coach of the year ballot, but but there were like I think, 15 good coach of the year candidates. Yeah, year. there were a lot of guys that were deserving to be in the conversation. I think he was one of them, like a team that certainly has talent, but nobody saw this level of turnaround coming. I, I, I think we were asked to put out a bold prediction before the season started at SI. And I used my bold prediction to say the Timberwolves will make the playoffs and they'll do it without needing the plan. And then even within the description, I like backtracked where I was, I said, okay, they'll probably need the plan, but like, they've got enough talent to make it happen. I just, I just don't necessarily know if they'll do it, but like, I'll, I'll say it for the sake of an argument. And then they basically did all that. They didn't, they needed the plan, but they clearly were deserving. They were several games up. Um, you know, to have on all the other playing teams, Chris Finch is a, a big reason for that. They were a mm-hmm. team that flirted with the top 10 on offense and defense efficiency wise, um, got a ton out of towns, you know, maybe towns thumped his chest a little bit too loudly about being the greatest big man shooter of all time, which debatable. Um, but anyway, this was a team that he got to defend that in the past just has not been good. Patrick Beverly deserves some credit for that, obviously, from a culture standpoint. I mean, when they were going on those, when they built that lead, their defense was fantastic. Right, right. So obviously where I'm going with this is that for you to deserve all the accolades and all the credit and all the, the acclaim, you can't let your relatively young team get beat 21 nothing without calling timeout that was on a tough. run. That was it tough. can't happen. And I, you know, he, he, they had two timeouts when that p- period started, when that run started. And somebody used a, I can't remember somebody, I think it was Haley O'Shaughnessy tweeted. She's like, the funniest thing about this is seeing that there was like someone took a screenshot yeah. of this, <laughs> you know, the, yeah. the score when they had the 21 point lead or whatever, or the 22 point lead. Yeah. And then, a screenshot of when the game was tied or when Memphis had pulled ahead. 
It's just like the funniest thing is seeing the timeout situation be exactly the same, that the team still have the same number of timeouts. Like that cannot happen. And look, I've covered the Knicks and, you know, in the era where Phil Jackson <laughs> was running the team, yep. Eric Fisher took a lot of cues from having played for Phil when I was covering them. So there are times where you let your young team kind of learn the ropes by not calling timeout, by letting them kind of swim in the deep end a little bit and kind of find their way out. Yeah. Um, but you don't do that in a playoff game. Yeah, that's great. You, in a 21 February, yeah. Let it be 11 nothing, 13 nothing. That would be bad yeah. enough, in my opinion, but 21 nothing's unacceptable. Yeah. And, I mean, obviously now it's really easy to say I'm sure he would have made a different choice. You never know what happens at the end of a game where you're going to need the timeout. But 20, like you cannot let it that sort yes. of momentum yeah. come up in a game and not refute it or rebut it by doing anything or changing anything. It's just brutal. Andy, he wasted his timeout early in that game uh, on a just a silly challenge on that D'Angelo Russell offensive foul. That was obvious. We'll move on. Uh, last thing I'll say is, you know, did you see that Raptors tweet that was like Siakam puts up at ethical 30 balls? <laughs> Like, like that was a that was an unethical four shot game from Carl Towns. That was the exact opposite of the ethical. Someone should be chaining themselves to the court, yes, or to the basket, based on Carl Anthony Towns' performances in game. What what was it? I guess in game two and game three. Also, I I know that like the NBA's broadcast partners want nothing to do with those protests. Something tells me those people probably have a point. Um, I'll just leave it at that. Welcome to the Scene to Scene podcast. I am your host, Valerie Complex. Today, I am chatting with Ji Young Yu. Ji Young stars as co-lead in the six-part limited series, Expats. I think I learn a little bit with every character that I play. I think usually I play a character and it causes enough introspection that I learned something about myself. I honestly can't gush enough about Freaky Tales. I'm so excited to share it with more people. If you like what you hear, be sure to review, like, and subscribe to the Scene to Scene podcast. An epic matchup between your two favorite teams, and you're at the game getting the most from what it means to be here with American Express. You breeze through the card member entrance, stop by the lounge. Now it's almost tip-off, and everyone's already on their feet. This is going to be good. That's the powerful backing of American Express. See how to elevate your life sports experience at AmericanExpress.com slash with Amex. Eligible American Express card required. Benefits vary by card and by venue. Terms apply. Let's uh, move on. Let's look ahead a tiny bit because I want to make sure we talk about Celtics Nets, um, which has been 2-0. I picked the Nets in six in this series, and I actually felt better about it after game one. And then game two happens. I think what Boston is doing to Durant without Rob Williams, that to me was a big part of this series. Cause I'm like, Oh man, guarding KD without Rob. I mean, Grant Williams has been fantastic. Horford's been fantastic. The entire defense locked in. It's the best defense I've ever seen anyone play against Durant. Um, Simmons is a, Ben Simmons allegedly coming back for game four. Um, what, what's your read on this series right now? Do you think the Nets have a chance um, or do you think Boston's going to maybe run away with this one? I, well, I, I'm, this will be a weird thing to point out. I'm really curious to see, we, we, you know, having lived in New York, having covered the Knicks, there's always the joke about the Nets fan mm-hmm. base. What's How the good the fan yeah. base. Yeah. yeah, like what does that look like? Does Boston in a year where it looks like they have a, a real shot at a title, do they show up in such massive numbers to where, as we've seen before at times with the Nets, where it, it feels like a Celtics home game. Mm-hmm. Um, but more than anything, I mean, I, I think I, I could get cute with an answer here. I really do think the question is, um, how does Durant look? I, I, mm-hmm. I think Kyrie will play better next game. He also uh, was really bad in game two. He was brutal in game two. I, he, I don't think he was so brutal that he shouldn't have gotten shots in the fourth. Yeah. Um, like that. that is a criticism as we you know get off of the Finch criticism nash deserves plenty as well um where granted you know people a a lot of people a a good percentage of people think that duran is the best player in the world but at a certain point if he's not scoring and he's not looking good and he's not looking himself and let's give the celtics full credit that is because of what you just said they're defending him better than really anybody we've seen in years um you have to you have kyrie irving there it's not like he's playing 
um, by himself, you know, with Russell Westbrook injured or something on the same roster, he has Kyrie Irving there um, to get the ball to, to at least make something happen. And Kyrie was defended very well too. Um, So it's not to say that, you know, that every shot has to go through them or every Mm -hmm. possession has to go through them. Goran had played well for a while too, you know, so I don't think you want to see him going one-on-one against guys, but you had options and they were not really used. So obviously how well Durant can play or how much better he can play. That's the one thing you feel good about. Um, I have mixed feelings about the Ben Simmons thing in terms of it would be one thing if he was coming back for game three, all the reports yes, I've been seeing is like game they're planning on him coming I back the for same game way. four. Why you need him now? You need if you're gonna, if he's going to do anything, you need him right now. Yeah, and like you would hate to see him come back too early after he's missed this much time. Like nobody's really had a clear read on the guy's health. We've talked so much about yeah. the mental health aspect of it. We've talked about him needing to ramp up conditioning wise. If his conditioning is there, he, like I said, if if he's got stuff going on with his back or anything else, like you don't want to risk it too much but it is kind of like as we said at this talk point about Luca, at this point yeah, i was two days making the difference that that's kind of where i'm at is yeah. that, like with luca it's one thing because this is your superstar yes. and, and he just got hurt right with with ben simmons for someone it's not it's also not like we're asking ben simmons to get 30 here yeah we're asking him to play some defense to be someone that can move the ball in a way where people can't just key in on durant and kyrie um, and maybe that frees up Simmons from a scoring standpoint in a way yeah. that we've never seen before, too. But I don't know what to expect. It's a huge question mark. But either way, I've been thinking a lot about that. I've been thinking a lot about mm. what the crowd is going to be like in Brooklyn. And obviously, can right. Boston keep up this level of defense against Durant? Yeah. Because if they can and Durant's not able to, to be more efficient and score better, then the series is over. I, yeah. I, I thought Boston would win the series. I can't remember anymore if I picked it in five or six. Five would have been wild considering the way the first two games looked where they were winnable games for Brooklyn. But mm. I just kind of felt like asking asking Durant and Kyrie, and this was my thought all along and why I put Boston pretty decisively, is asking those two to hang with a team that's as deep and, and as versatile as Boston. This is where coming together relatively late in the year and putting your foot on the pedal – and maybe having Simmons, maybe not, maybe having Harden, maybe not. This is where it hurts you is against a team that has cohesion. <laughs> yes. Is well even connected. without Robert yeah. Williams and is really well connected is going to suffocate you and going to make you work. Even if they scored better Durant and Kyrie in the last game, they're going to make you work your tail off to get it in, in a way that wears you down over the course of a series. And um, I'm not sure if we've seen that already, but we've certainly seen that the scoring is not going to come easy for those yeah. two. And if and when it doesn't, Boston has enough guys to kind of beat you that way. And uh, so that, that I, I'm looking forward to seeing those things. But I, I kind of feel like game four, especially if Boston wins game three, Ben Why Simmons might as well just back that? Yeah. wait, you know, until yeah. next year. Yeah, I, I, I'm totally with you on the crowd thing. I was wondering the same thing. Can they provide that dose of energy that makes it feel like their fans still believe it's a series? Um, I mean, say what you want about the Wolves. The atmosphere in that building was frenetic uh, was. last night. It was really good. Denver Denver usually struggles with home crowds against the Warriors. Denver had a fantastic home crowd in game three. The Nets need that. They really do. Um, the, the lack of cohesion, I think, has really become apparent for Brooklyn, whether it was how they kind of botched that end of the game one, uh, both offensively and defensively in yeah. the last three or four possessions. Uh, the play where Kyrie didn't have anyone to inbounds to the, just the lack of attention to detail. Those little things can't be happening. And I like Steve Nash. I think he's a fantastic basketball mind. And I, I still think he's a good coach. I know that that's become a little bit controversial, but I mean, there's so much more to coaching. I mean, he's, he's had to manage some pretty crazy situations. Yeah, it's there been a weird ass year. Um, but they need they this can't be what they're doing. I understand their their whole philosophy is like we have Kevin Durant and Kyrie Irving. We'll go shot for shot with you, but when you're seeing your best guy get hammered for two games in a row round and you're still just throwing him the ball at the elbow, letting Boston swarm him, they need to figure something out. They need to do something to get him going, get him an easy look. And it feels like he hasn't gotten a single easy look 
they can't get him running around off ball, moving around screens. Like whether it's like these guys are commanding so much attention from a defense, but they barely move in the half court. They need to figure out something because they're hitting their head against a wall every time they just throw Durant on the, you know, it's like 12 seconds in left in the shot clock by the time they finally get him on the elbow. And then by then Boston feels comfortable throwing two or three guys at him. It's kind of disconcerting to watch the Nets do nothing to adjust to what Boston has done defensively. Yeah. Like I'll, I'll, I'll use this example. Cause I saw people criticizing this yesterday and I kind of disagreed. Um, people were the, the Draymond made like a all world play on, um, you know, I, I think literally will be in the, when Draymond makes the hall of fame someday, like it'll be in his reel that mm-hmm. they'll show where he made a, an unbelievable play on Jokic in a one-on-one post-up situation. Draymond mm-hmm. times a, a swipe really well. He did this shit with five fouls too. Yeah. And this is Jokic who, what did he finish with 37, 18 and five or yeah. something like that. I mean, so he, he'd been, he had it going. Um, and that Draymond swipes the ball away. And I saw people criticizing Michael Malone for running a play where it's an ISO, basically a post up for Jokic, everybody else clear out against the best defender in the world. Okay. He, he scored pretty well. Yeah. You know, for the first time in the series, he, he played pretty efficiently against Draymond. This is why Draymond had all the fouls to begin with. So yes, like it's a toss up sort of play. But you've done pretty well with it in that on that night, and that's certainly your best option. Maybe you could have run a little bit more action, but I'm okay with that. I'm less okay, and this is what I was getting at and what I think you're saying. I'm less okay with Nash doing that with Durant when Durant has not had a clean look the mm-hmm. whole game. It's different, and it's context-dependent on how that game has gone. Is there something that you're seeing? Is there a matchup or a switch that you can kind of get that you really want, that you're looking forward to? I didn't see that in that game. And I, I think, you know, uh, I think Dragonfly Jones tweeted it after the game. Nash said something. He was like, you know, Dragonfly Jones said this is like a 12th game of the season ass excuse <laughs> that Nash is giving where he basically said these guys are still trying to learn each other and they're yeah. still trying to figure out situations. And it's like, yeah, but you didn't put this roster together for that reason. And granted, again, to be fully fair to Steve Nash, he's been dealt a pretty weird ass hand this season as far as everything with Kyrie Harden was on the team for half more than half the season. Um, Durant was out for half the season. Um, you know, so trying to adjust all that stuff, Ben Simmons still has not played. And <laughs> most of their questions about that. most of their roster is made up of like six foot two guys. Yeah. There's that yeah. like, you know, Griffin used to be a guy that yeah. was playing. So you know, and, I'm and almost ready to dust. I'm Aldridge. almost ready to. I'm almost ready to dust off Blake Griffin. They just and also, I think, frankly, they have to regret cutting James Johnson, who, while not is the answer, yeah. I think can belong on the floor in a playoff series, at least Absolutely. right now, at least in this series. But they're just way too small. Yeah, it's it, it, it's just a situation, man. Where you, I, I'm willing to give. Nash some benefit of the doubt, but not with those, not with that rationale. Yeah. Because like if if your cohesion is your problem, is, is that why you're leaning on Durant so heavily yeah. when he hasn't been able to score? Because you like, I don't know, Goran is new to the team too, but he still yeah. has a role. Um, so I don't I don't know, man. Like I, I just think that uh it's it's a mess. I mm-hmm. I can't picture a scenario in which the Nets win this series anymore. Uh but that's just based on the fact that I don't I I don't really see enough adjustments in game from game to game. Um, and it, it just kind of feels like the Celtics now. If we talk about the confidence and how much confidence does Minnesota have after their collapse, Brooklyn's had two games that they could have or should have won mm-hmm. that they haven't now. And, and so they- even if their confidence isn't shot, Boston's confidence has to be sky high. Yeah at this point and they've got a team that's more cohesive than the, the nets so i i you know i i liked the the celtics going in and five or six and nothing at this point obviously nothing's really swayed me differently yeah. and brooklyn's i mean wasted big games from guys like Dragic, bruce brown etc yeah sure. unfortunately unfortunately the boston propaganda machine will keep rolling for at least another round here there's there's <laughs> two 
we're we're coming up on time. There's but there's two more topics I want to hit quickly. So I'm gonna throw you like a sports radio ass question right now, like okay. true like hot takey um, stuff. But because I want to, the Suns play tonight. The Bucks and Bulls play again this weekend. Are you more worried about the Suns or the Bucks right now, injury wise? The Suns losing Devin Booker, the Bucks losing Chris Middleton. Is there one that you lean toward? Are you not panicking about either team? I just, I'm just trying to get a, a temp check. I'm not panicking yet. Uh, if either one of them goes down to one, I'm not. I'm not fully worried about the Suns. Uh, I think, yeah, I'm, I'm more worried about the Bucks. Same. Which feels crazy because Giannis is Giannis. <laughs> yeah. And this is the defending champs. But I do think the Bulls had already kind of identified something to hold down the Bucks mm-hmm. scoring. They've been defending very well in a way that, quite frankly, I didn't think they were capable of without Lonzo Ball being out there. Um, we see that the Bulls can score enough to go toe to toe with them, certainly if Middleton's going to be out. Um, and, you know, they have not done anything. <laughs> Let's slow down Giannis, but yeah. they may not need to if Middleton's not there. And I think Middleton not being there in late game situations where I think he holds the most value mm-hmm. where a year ago this time we were having the conversation, the Kendrick Perkins appointed conversation about the Batman <laughs> Robin thing. Yeah. And, you know, the idea that Giannis was OK with uh, Middleton being the late game clutch guy because he has more of a mid range game. That's where this really hurts a team like uh, Milwaukee. And uh, so I have more concerns about that than I do about the Suns at this point. Me too, especially because the Bulls have looked the best they've looked since the first half of the season. Um, Alex Caruso to me is first team all playoffs so far. They've thrown it, they're putting him there. He's guarding Giannis. He's just making so many clutch plays down the stretch of that game, too. Also, Milwaukee's half court offense, like famously prone to lulls. Uh, Middleton is just like a slump buster, a run ender kind of player. Mm-hmm. Um, I think Holiday's been their second best player this season, and and Connaughton and Allen, and I mean Wes Matthews, obviously been a big part of their success. Sure. Like Connaughton and Allen have been really, really good catch and shoot players. Connaughton's someone who's proven now he can be a good part of a playoff rotation. You know, I think he'll probably start and and play heavy minutes moving forward. But Milwaukee just becomes a lot easier to defend. It's a lot less stressful for Chicago, which is small on the wing, and now. You know, they can live with cheating off Connaughton in the corner because they're not as worried about him going one-on-one as they are with Middleton. So I'm definitely more worried about them. Uh, the Suns, I mean, they still have Chris Paul. And, you know, they've been playing with guys in and out of the lineup all year. So I think we're on the same page there. Hi, I'm Antonia Blythe, and this is 20 Questions on Deadline. Joining me today is Alison Bree. Welcome, Allison. We got second place in my seventh grade lip sync contest for one of the songs on that album. The one that was like, you've already won me over. Oh, that's a good one. Yeah. It's a very slow. all the options. In spite of me. Like, what did we do? It's so slow. (laughs) Don't forget to listen to 20 Questions on the Deadline. Thank you again, Allison. Thank you. When you're an American Express Platinum Card member, don't be surprised if you say things like, Chef, what course are we on? I've I've lost count. Or, shoot that, shoot that! And even, checkout's not until four, so. Because the American Express Platinum Card offers access to exclusive reservations at renowned restaurants, elevated experiences at live events, and 4 p.m. late checkout at fine hotels and resorts booked through Amex Travel. That's the powerful backing of American Express. See how to elevate your experiences at americanexpress.com slash with Amex. Terms apply. I want to touch on the Warriors real quick. Obviously, we're up 3-0. Um, you know, I'm I'm just I'm in too deep in like trying to defend Jokic against like strangers on the internet. It's really it's really it's really not good for my mental health. I don't know. It's I've never been this. You know what I'm before. gonna say though before we before you even finish your question. I don't like look. It's a regular season award. Yeah. Uh, people use this as fuel to kind of fuel their argument that okay, and, and you know we've been parts of the same Twitter threads yeah. lately with people attacking us for yeah. votes or who we would vote for or whatever because we choose Jokic. Like, first of all, I voted the night before the ballots were due <laughs> yeah. and have been on podcasts on record on this podcast, other podcasts saying that I was torn. Mm-hmm. So Embiid almost had my vote. Yeah. Um, so I, first of all, I think it's fine to acknowledge that it was close. It's fine to acknowledge the obvious about the on off and everything else. And the fact that Denver was worse 
than Philly was with uh, with uh, Jokic off the court and with him on the court and the production that he had produced more offense. Um, if you want to use a situation where I, I think we could both acknowledge that Toronto has been beaten up um, yeah. in this series and diminished and, you know, Embiid is playing against a team that has no centers. He's dominated it, yeah. which I, I'm not going to take for granted. He's doing that. He's looked every part of an MVP, which is why I really considered heavily mm -hmm. giving him my MVP vote. Jokic has been fine. Last night, he had a play that um, the, the best defender in the world knocked the ball away from him. Again, he had 37, 18, and 5 mm -hmm. on a team where the, the drumbeat was getting louder and louder about the fact that the Nuggets' best scorer outside of Jokic had not scored in double digits in five playoff games. He is the lowest-scoring second scorer yeah. of any of the playoff teams. Um and it's a team that's not elite defensively. So yeah. Jokic has to do a lot. Meanwhile, on the other side of the fence, granted, because of how Toronto is guarding them, we're watching Maxi go off for a playoff career high. We're watching Harden do well enough. We're watching Tobias Harris come back to life. Mm -hmm. You know, where you're getting 60 points and more sometimes combined from your third and your fourth scores. Mm -hmm. So on the one hand, yes, Embiid's argument gets stronger, I guess. But I'm not sure how Jokic's has gotten weaker when they're yeah. playing against maybe the best looking team of the yeah. playoffs so far. I didn't expect a sweep, but the context of it suggests that like maybe it should be a sweep yeah. because there's just such a wide gap in talent. So I don't think that this really helps the argument for Embiid all that much because we're looking, this is kind of what Jokic had the whole year. Yeah. Was this sort of help and him winning games despite that. Um, so I, I don't think you have to defend it. I yeah. don't think I have to defend it. It's not a postseason award. There will be an opportunity for Embiid to win an MVP yeah. postseason award if his team gets there. Um, and I think Embiid was a deserving choice too if yeah. pe for people that chose him. I just yeah. don't think that this is a sensible thing to use as like a, well, Jokic shouldn't have gotten it. Yeah. I, I don't think there's been any proof of that in my opinion. And also like we're having a completely different conversation if they're playing the jazz or, you know, whoever or Dallas, it's just a completely different conversation. Sure. Um, they've run into a three time champion. They've run into a total buzzsaw, but I, I wanted to bring up the warriors just real quick. They've obviously, you know, finally started to deploy this uh, three guard lineup with Steph pool, clay flanked by Draymond and Wiggins. Um, the Denver finally slowed it down to a degree in game three after it was looking like, you know, better than any version they've even had with Durant. Um, just looking ahead a little bit, is there a team that excites you matching up against that lineup? Is there, you know, a team specifically you want to see, try to defend it with certain players, et cetera. I, to me, I just, when I see something like that, my mind starts spinning and I'm like, how's Phoenix going to defend this? How's Memphis going to defend this? Um, just what, what are your thoughts on that group and, who you know who do you think maybe has a chance to kind of slow them down no of course i mean i think you have to start with phoenix uh at this point you've got three wing guys that like you can't lose sight of mm -hmm. um and i think that you know with with pool clay and steph you would feel decently about being able to at least defend that somewhat if you're phoenix with Paul and you would have Crowder and you'd have Mikhail Bridges. Mm -hmm. uh, you would feel pretty decent about trying to do that, or at least trying to slow that down. I don't know that you do it all the time, but you, I'm not sure you're going to find too many trios that are better than mm -hmm. that, than that group. Not to mention that you've got other guys that are pretty solid defenders too. Obviously Aiden mm -hmm. being part of that lineup. So there there's Phoenix for one. And obviously the, you know, the best record in the league that shouldn't come as a surprise that that would be one of the teams I pick. Outside of that, I'm basically going to the East. Mm. Um, and Boston is the first team that comes to mind. Yeah. We've talked about the, the nightmares that they're kind of leaving Durant with. Um, just the switchability, the versatility. Um, guys that I think are going to have it drilled into their head of what, who not to lose mm -hmm. and coverage and who not to let get around certain screens. And, um, you know, the, the relocation threes and everything like that, that they're going to keep a pretty good eye on. Um, I would be really, really interested to see Miami too. Mm. Partly just because I kind of feel like Miami could do it, but I also wonder if there are certain lineups that Miami can't roll out there. Tyler Hero would be a little bit scary to watch mm -hmm. uh, defensively against a team like Golden State. Uh, 
And so would Duncan Robinson to some extent uh, that you would worry a little bit about kind of their ID and, you know, their ability to ID and IQ certain things just from an IQ standpoint of defending Mm -hmm. that. So do you lose some offense and how you have to play defenses against a team like Golden State? I will leave you with one last one. Uh, I don't know that as a team, I would be super interested in watching them defend it, but I would at this point, because of all the conversations we're having about Jokic and Draymond, would love to see Embiid and Draymond. Yes. At some yes. point. Like I just really want to see that matchup just to see it. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't know that I would feel great about Philly's defense against Golden State. Um not great, but I, I think that they could maybe do it at times. Yeah. In a way that would make it interesting. But I think three of the four teams I'd be interested in seeing would be teams from the East, not the West. Yeah. Phoenix no, could I, do it. I'm totally with you there. You know, the Philly one is interesting because I you know, all these people are like Jokic is getting killed. They're running around the floor. They're going to do the same thing to Embiid. They're going to do the same thing to any big center. You know, Embiid is obviously, Jokic is not on his level defensively. We both know that. But what makes Embiid great is the way he protects the paint. That's not what the Warriors are doing right now. I mean, they're going to make any big bulky center run around and it's going to present its challenges. I like that you brought up Boston because it's not just to me what they can do defensively. They also have the wings to take advantage of that lineup on the other end of the floor. One thing Denver doesn't have right now is they can't make pool work. They're not making Steph work defensively. And it's not like those, you know, Steph's defensive reputation was, I think how poor it was is obviously overblown. He's a good team defender, et cetera. But you know, Denver just doesn't have anyone on the wing who can take advantage of those guys. Phoenix is interesting because Booker, I think can to an extent, obviously you have Chris Paul as this pick and roll maestro, but I'm interested to see the teams uh, not only defend it, but how they attack them on the other end of the floor, because, you know, it's one thing for them to score all those points, but if they're giving it back up or you make it untenable in some way, I think that's going to be really interesting to watch moving forward. Yeah. Yeah. It would be something to, to see it. Um, I mean, that, that's something that I, I saw people sharing that clip of Jokic uh, just huffing and puffing, which I think was from a year or two ago mm-hmm. or whenever it was. Um, and people were making it out to be that it was from this series, but there is something to be said for making Jokic work as hard as he's had to work mm-hmm. defensively. And I don't even think it's just conditioning wise. It's also just the mental mental. Work yes. That that's it what takes people don't, every yeah. possession, every handoff, every back cut it. When you have to think about someone back cutting you, mm-hmm. it takes you an extra split second to be able to come out to the perimeter to make sure that no one's back cut you first before you can go out and help against pool or anybody else or clay or Steph, it's, it's exhausting. And, and it's why Boston is in a better spot because they not only have the guys that can do that, but they also have the depth to where one guy starts to get physically exhausted, mentally exhausted that you can plug somebody else in, or you could try to, and uh, Denver it's part of why Denver, I don't know if I would add them to the list of teams I'm most interested to see, Certainly from a defensive standpoint, that would not be the case. But if they were at full strength, right. With I Michael mean, Porter yeah, and Jamal Murray, Jamal Murray who's guarding put, who? Yeah. You could put pressure on Golden State. And that was honestly, I think yesterday when Denver came back and either tied the game or took the lead, uh, at some point, maybe in the second quarter, I think it was. I was like, this is really cool to watch just because I think every team fights really hard in that mm. game three when they're already down 2 0 and they go home. Uh, so you kind of saw that last gasp effort pretty much mm-hmm. from Denver, you know, who knows, maybe they'll come out in game four and do the same thing. But, um, it, I, I was just, I couldn't really get excited about it because you still kind of had the feeling that yeah. golden state, this is taking everything Denver has to stay in this game. Yeah. And you know, golden state has another level that they have to unlock towards the end. Um, and, but the thing is, this isn't Denver's whole team. And if they had their whole team, this would be a really fun series, series yeah. for that reason. So it, it's a little bit frustrating from that standpoint, but there are teams that as of right now, just kind of have the depth to, to push golden state, I think at least, um, but we'll see. Cause Jordan pool has been fantastic. And <laughs> I was seeing insane. this last night, man, he played at my alma mater. He played at Michigan. So I watched him plenty. I ain't see this version of Jordan yeah. pool. Uh, I mean, it's just something else to watch. It, he's been, it speaks to their development. All you need to say is he's been every bit as good as Steph Curry and Klay Thompson. He's been every bit as good. And it's it's kind of just insane to watch. And to borrow a therapy term, it's the emotional labor that comes with guarding the Warriors 
that I think is exhausting Jokic more than the physical labor because he's already carrying this massive burden on both ends of the floor. And it's just the, the, the mental focus you hit, you hit the nail on the head. That's what the Warriors do. Other teams, they can, frankly, they'll let you take a break defensively because they're running an ISO with their best player. Like Boston, I, I don't mean this as a diss, but like they're not expending as much mental energy. Um, they, the physical energy is high, but the mental energy that Brooklyn is putting through them is a lot less than what uh, Golden State is putting Denver through. And I think that's been a big difference in the series. But all right, Chris, that'll do it for this episode of Open Floor. You know, we don't get a lot of a lot of time for like just me and you to kick it. Um, you know, I think this is a, a treat for our listeners. They're tired of the pod. Uh, they're tired of Pina. So I'm glad <laughs> I'm glad that we could uh, uh, give them a little something different today. But Michael will be back on Monday, I believe. Uh, shout out to him. Uh, Chris, thank you so much. This was a lot of fun. Uh, looking forward to not hearing from you very much in the group chat over the weekend <laughs> um, as P and I continue to go at it. Sounds good, man. I appreciate you uh, running point here, and I uh, will talk to you the next time. and this is 20 questions on deadline joining me today is allison Bree. welcome allison we got second place in my seventh grade lip sync contest for one of the songs on that album the one that was like you've already won me over oh that's a good one yeah it's a very slow all the options in spite of me (laughs) like what did we do it's so slow don't forget to listen to 20 questions on deadline thank you again allison thank you There's plenty to celebrate in March and National Craft Month with the perfect pizza at home class from Craftsy. And anytime is right to listen to iHeartRadio's iHeartCountry Radio. Discover more shows and movies for free. When you're an American Express Platinum Card member, don't be surprised if you say things like, Chef, what course are we on? Uh, I've lost count. Or, shoot that, shoot that! And even, checkout's not until four, so. Because the American Express Platinum Card offers access to exclusive reservations at renowned restaurants, elevated experiences at live events, and 4 p.m. late checkout at fine hotels and resorts booked through Amex Travel. That's the powerful backing of American Express. See how to elevate your experiences at americanexpress.com slash with Amex. Terms apply. Whether it's your first time betting or you've been gambling for years, have a plan and know the game. Be aware of the rules and odds before you gamble. Set a budget and never gamble with money you can't afford to lose. Take a break and consider teaming up with trusted friends to help you stick to your budget. Remember, if you or a loved one has a gambling problem, call 1-800-GAMBLER 24-7 or go to helpmygamblingproblem.org for free confidential services. 